I got this. Thank you, John. Wow. How's everyone doing? That was a little weak. How's everyone doing? Uh, I thought so. It sounded like you were doing great. I didn't want to ruin that for you. Well, we've had a good time with these leaders around this district, incredible men and women. We've, uh, we've prayed a lot. We've talked a lot. We've just had a good time together, and it's been good. And now to see the rest of the group, it's pretty exciting for me. I was sitting out there thinking about ours. We had this uh, uh, wonderful minister's retreat just last October, and we sat at tables like you are. Does this sound good? Is it good or bad? It's bad. Yeah, it's bouncing off the wall. Would it be better if I just use this mic and turn this off? Did it just get better? So if I just have faith in the sound man, it'll be okay? His problem is, this, there you go, it's getting better all the time. Can you make me a little more bass? I've always wanted that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This, whatever, whatever I get, I get. So I've never been invited to be a radio host or anything. I've never had that voice. Anyway, so I was thinking about ours, and we had this great time. We were at tables, and the assignment was that every table was supposed to tell each other funny stories that have happened at church, something in the ministry, some blooper, whatever, and then pick the best one, and different ones from the tables would stand up and share theirs. This was just last October, and they got to sharing these stories. We were rolling in the floor. Some of them were so funny. I was thinking I should tell one, and so there's one I'm going to tell, and this was, this was a, a, a youth pastor who told one on his pastor. As a matter of fact, he'd like to come to Ohio now and uh, see if there's an opening for him. Not really. So he tells this story. He said, our pastor sometimes gets to talking, and he, he, he means well, his, his, his focus is good, but he doesn't really hear the words he's using and how he's saying it, and sometimes it comes out different than what he means. For instance, there was this Sunday morning where he gets up to say, you know, we're a family church. We believe in family. We especially, especially believe in children. We believe every child needs to be touched. And so he thought he didn't, he didn't stop there. He said, as a matter of fact, if you have children in our other building, somebody's touching your children right now. <laughs> so he just kept going. And he said, as a matter of fact, if I get a chance, I'll touch your children. <laughs> so people know him well in the church, and they know he doesn't really mean anything weird by that, but the way he said it. So he just couldn't. So I, that was just funny. We laughed and laughed about that mistake. And we just told story after story, funny thing after funny thing. We laughed for an hour because a lot of funny stuff happens at church, doesn't it? But sometimes stuff happens at church that's not so funny. Sometimes there are issues that develop that um, nobody's laughing about. I'll never forget, I hadn't been superintendent very long when I got the phone call from one of our pastors. He said, I, my wife and I would like to meet with you and talk. And so we did. Uh, actually, I was still assistant superintendent. We met with them and sat down. I'd been the youth pastor in that church at one time. And so I was pretty familiar with the strong board control process that it used and that he had come into. As a matter of fact, while I was presbyter in that area, uh, two different men that served on the committee with me were pastoring that church and had both chose to leave after a number of years of fighting with the struggles in that church. Now, he was the new pastor. I sat down with him, and he said, my wife uh, wasn't feeling good on Wednesday night, went into my office and laid down on the couch while I was teaching, which is close to the room where the deacons count the money. And she could hear them in the other office plotting on how they were going to get rid of us because we were gaining too much power. He said, about broke her heart. He said, we don't know how to respond. 
So I sat down with him, and I said, well, according to bylaws, choice is yours. If you'll invite the district, we can come in and take over this place, and then we'll remove them, and we'll start all over. I've asked the last two guys to do it, and they wouldn't do it. They, they didn't want to fight the fight, and it's understandable because it's a bloody mess. He said, we're the people. I said, all right, let's get after it. He did. He invited. We stepped in. We took over the church. The board then sued us. Those pre- previous guys took us to court and wanted their church back. Uh, I tried to ask them, when did it become your church? I thought it belonged to Jesus. Shows what I know. And uh, we won, and then we had to go to court the second time won again. Then they sent us the bill for the legal fees. We thought that was funny. Uh, in the midst of all of that, a lot of things were being learned. Also, from my previous experience where I grew up, the way things that my dad dealt with as a pastor. I realized when I became superintendent then that um, one of the major issues we were going to have to deal with to get churches healthy is pastor board relationships have got to be biblical, got to be correct. So I did this tour. In the tour, I called it theocracy versus democracy. And I dealt with what a theocracy looks like versus what a democracy looks like. A democracy looks like a local town's uh, elected officials hiring a city manager to take care of the people. But theocracy looks like a pastor leading everyone else into ministry. In a democracy, the church hires the preacher to do the ministry. In a theocracy, they elect or find the man of God that God's chosen for them to lead all of them into ministry. We ended up calling it the church that works, meaning the church that functions well and also everybody has a job. Everybody's in the ministry. It went so well that I began to get invited to teach it all over America. So in the process of that, we sat down and worked out with Mel, uh, a good friend of mine who is a, who's a true writer. I'm a speaker, but I'm not a writer. And Mel Surface sat down with me, and we wrote this little book. We've now, we're now pushing our 10,000th copy. And it's a uh, matter of fact, I'm in the room today. Rita's my sales lady. She boxes them up and mails them off. Uh, Amazon, you can also get them on Amazon, and you can, get, you can download them. But we bought some of these books and if you have, have any issues at your church, and I don't have time to teach it tonight, so I just brought these little books. This book is not very big. We got it down to under 120 pages. The goal is to make it readable in one session, to say everything that needs to be said, and then uh, we also wrote it for people who don't read much, uh, if they could stay in tune with this. Well, it's worked really well. It's helped a lot of churches. And I can't teach it tonight because that's not where I'm supposed to go. But I did bring them, and if you're interested, we've got about 100 books that we brought with us. And Rita will be at the back back there. It looks like this, and it's just called The Church That Works. And I don't want to take this back to my seat with me. So if right now you don't have any board members here that will see you do this, but you are having an issue and you need some help, first one up here gets it. You got it. All right. Thank you. He was... He was halfway here before I finished setting the parameters, and uh, I thought it was going to be your book. Well, I hope that book will help you, and, I, and if you guys want to get it, you can. And if you decide to order later or something, you can always do that. Now, I want to talk to you about a process that we began. Many of you weren't here, and it's such an honor for us to be here. But we established some parameters yesterday to move us into this morning and tonight that all of you weren't here to hear. So let me just restructure a little thought process, and then we'll go from there. Now, some of you you presbyters have heard this little part, so just bear with me as we work through it. I believe in Pentecost. I am Pentecostal, which means a little different than just being Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled is a powerful part of being Pentecostal, 
but Pentecostal means I'm doing my best to have the same spirit-filled experience that the church had on the day of Pentecost. It's not saying that I want to somehow save some culture that Pentecost has become. It is rather saying I want to be restored to see the church become what it was when the Lord first released it in Jerusalem. That's what I mean, and I need to clarify that, because to some people, Pentecost means screaming and running up and down the aisles. That's culture. That's not even necessarily the true move of God. I'm not going to say it can't be. I'm just saying, let's don't go to the culture. I don't want to save the culture that's been created out of Pentecost. I want the power. I want the healing. I want the manifestation that's real. I want the drawing power that brings lost people into Christianity. I want true Pentecost. True Pentecost is the greatest soul-winning process that the Lord has ever released. And if you think the best way to win souls is to be non-Pentecostal, you need to go back and reread the book of Acts. Because the most dynamic evangelism that has ever taken place is in the Pentecostal church in the book of Acts. That's what I want, and that's what matters. Sometimes one of the problems with Pentecost is that we have a tendency to believe that everything happens at the altar. What I mean by that is that when you become Pentecostal, you're no longer used process. That when you need something, you receive a touch, a prayer, a relief, an encounter, and you walk away delivered. Well, we know that God delivers. We believe that God delivers alcoholics, drug addicts. He believe, he's a deliverer. We know that God heals instantly. We believe in the instantaneous healing of the Lord. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But sometimes we become so Pentecostal that we don't make room for God when He wants to use process instead of immediate change. Are you with me? We've got to be Pentecostally correct, but we need to grasp process. God uses God, a process. God spoke to me many years ago and began to share with me that he was a God of process. He spoke to me about it because I was trying to get him to do something instantly, and he said, I'm going to answer your prayer, but the way I'm going to do it is going to be through process. It's not going to be instant. And if I answered it instantly, you would need it to be answered again. But if you'll let me answer it in my process, I can answer it once and for all. And then he brought me to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, he takes me to the first encounter or the first revelation we have of God. It is at that moment that we call uh, creation. Literally, when Moses wrote the story of creation, he did not pick up where the Hebrews writer does because the Hebrews writer declares that God created everything from nothing which simply tells us God doesn't have to have something to do something. Aren't we glad to know that? That he can take nothing and do That's true. But that's not where, where Moses begins to write the story. He says, in the beginning, the earth was empty, formless, unproductive. And he describes that it was already there. Why did he start after? Why did he start in the beginning? Why did he start with the mess instead of with the end result, or why did he start, not start with nothing? He purposely, I believe, started with the mess because that's where we all start. Because in our story, we're all born in sin, shaped by iniquity. We're all a mess somewhere in there. And, we start, and the people that come into our church, they are a mess when they get there. There are people that think that they want to go to the perfect church. I think it's easier to go to a messy church and fix it than go into a perfect one and try to keep it that way. Just a thought. I mean, some of you have probably been to the perfect church, and you, you, you got there, and, and then it got messy, and then they blamed you. It's better to go to a church that's already a mess, so you can blame the other guy. 
Just a thought. And so God chooses to start the story with a mess because in all true honesty, man is a mess, the earth is a mess, there's a, there's a mess to be fixed. And that lives are messy and everything about it is messy. So God purposely takes the mess and then he shows us a process and over seven days he turns the mess into a masterpiece. And so when he gets a hold of the mess, it's incredible, he starts his process. The thing he does on the first day is divine revelation. I just spent a, an hour preaching and teaching on divine revelation already to the leaders. I don't have time to do that. But I'm simply going to say this to you, that everything begins with new revelation. The revelation you're in today is the lid you live under. You cannot go beyond your present revelation. If you're going to go to a new place, God's going to have to enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you might see things you have not seen and understand. You have to have a new revelation of your situation, your reality. You have to have a new revelation of God and who He is and His power and His wealth and the supremacy of who He is. And then you can have a revelation of the potential and the hope to which He has called you. Back to Ephesians 1.18. I, I just did a bunch on that. I don't have time to do it. The pressure that got it down. They got notes. They can tell you. All right. So that's day one. Day two, God creates atmosphere. He separates the, he creates an expanse between earth and the dirt, and then he, he puts an expanse. He creates atmosphere. He puts a ceiling around. By the way, as far as they can tell, all of science cannot find another place or another planet in all creation that has an atmosphere like ours. It's very unique because what, what atmosphere does and determines is very important. As a matter of fact, when you begin to pray for God to do something and he begins to change the atmosphere rather than answer the prayer, he's doing that so when he answers the prayer, what he's about to do can live because in the present atmosphere, what you're asking him to do would only die again. Because atmosphere predetermines what lives and dies. And we can go hours on the power of atmosphere. If you want to fix your church, deal with the atmosphere. Don't write more rules and more laws. Don't try to have everybody do this. Everybody did try to control the process. Because if you'll fix the atmosphere, the atmosphere will determine what can survive and thrive and what cannot live. And so the atmosphere is a powerful controlling agent. And so the second thing in God's process was to deal with atmosphere. You want to change your own worship time. You want to change worship experience in the church. Change the atmosphere. You want to change what's happening in the altars and what people are hearing, what they're doing when they go home. Teach them how to have proper atmosphere in their home. Teach them how to create a loving atmosphere and you'll literally change their home for them powerful. So that's all part two. Part three, part three is when he got organized. On that day, he took the land and the water and he separated, put the land with land and the water with water, and there he creates this separation. As soon as he did that, things began to happen. Once those three pieces were in place, revelation was in place, the light was on, atmosphere was created, and structure, the land began to bring forth. Even at that, there was stuff in the mess that just couldn't live or thrive or didn't have opportunity. But once those three things were in place, things that hadn't lived began to live. It was exciting what began to happen on the face of the earth. On the fourth day, which is where we're going to go today, he established seasons. We're going to come back to that. On the fifth day, he took things that were not in the mess, things that they didn't have, things that were not in the DNA, not in the purpose, not there before while it was a mess, and he added stuff. God begins to add stuff. There's times in your life where some of what you need is just not in you. Some of the gifts and talents you need to do the job, he didn't give you. They're not in your DNA. They're not who you are. And so you have to make room for other people to become a part of your life and a part of your process. And sometimes everything we need is not in our church. 
church. It's okay. Some, I know I like homegrown. I love homegrown because they have my vision, my DNA, my value system, all of that's there. But sometimes what I need is not in my church, and I have to allow for God to add from the outside in order for the thing to fulfill its potential. On the fourth day, he added. On the, fi- on the fifth day. On the sixth day, he created, as, as, uh, as I already shared all this with everybody else, but he created opposition. What he did was before he made man, he made the eaters. He made the beast of the field. He made those things which were big, and they opposed what he'd already made. By creating opposition, he established parameters, he established structure, and he gave opportunity for strength. Listen, you cannot live up to your potential without opposition. Muscles only increase in strength if there's an opposing weight. And they have to push through. And in that very process, you become stronger. And in the things God is doing in us, making us into what we need to be, there must be times in our life where we face strong opposition and we press in. When we're in opposition, we get closer to God. We grow in our relationship with Him. We grow in our relationship with ourselves. We get things right with people. It literally brings us out the other side better and more powerful than we've ever been. And so on that, then after that, He creates man. Now, are you still with me? Because I'm doing about, I'm doing literally a six-hour seminar in 15 minutes. So uh, you're, just, you're just hanging on. I'm just giving you the highlights. But, but what's this? Then he creates man. And then he told man to rule over this thing that was good. It wasn't just good. God said it was very good. He had turned the mess into a masterpiece. He put a man in charge. And then he rested on the seventh day. Now, here is the big picture. After, after all of this is done, I begin to study the Scripture. Here's what I discovered. He did something different. After the, every time after that, he would make the man first and then send the man into the mess. That time, he fixed the mess by himself and gave us a method through which he would use to again and again fix the messes. But now, he calls a man or a woman. I'm just man in general. He calls a man, and he said, man, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to send you into a mess. And when you go into the mess, I'm going to give you revelation about the mess, about me, and about its potential. Then, I'm going to help you create an atmosphere, and I'm going to show you and work through you, and there's going to be an atmospheric shift and change. And then, we're going to show you how to organize. Organization matters. I didn't deal with that a while ago, but like it or not, it matters. It's a part of the process. And then we're going to add some things that aren't already there. And then we're going to go through some seasons, which I'm going to teach about. And then he said there's going to be opposition. And it's not always and then. Sometimes it's more one of these things at a time. And then the opposition is going to develop you and mature you and bring you into the fullness. And then we're going to rest. Now, why is the Sabbath so powerful? Because everything begins with new revelation. And Sabbath is always preparation for revelation. And if you aren't taking Sabbath, you will stop having new revelation. Somebody say amen. I just want to know you're out there. And so that's the process that God uses again and again to move us forward. And I didn't give you guys all of that the other night, but that's the whole process in a nutshell. I've taken that process and used it again and again in situation and circumstance and in my own life. And I've watched God use that process more than once. It's important. In the midst of that process is the teaching on seasons. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he said, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. God established the rhythm of of life and the rhythm of the year, the rhythm of process, so that there would be different seasons. And as seasons change, atmosphere changes. Seasons affect a lot of things. 
He established this so that by the time we get to Ecclesiastes and he begins to deal with seasons, the writer of Ecclesiastes said there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And then he makes this incredible list of a time to be born, a time to die, kill and heal and build and tear down. And he goes through that entire process. At the end of it all, he said, what does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on all of men. He has made everything beautiful in his season or in his time. If you don't embrace this fifth-day activity of seasons, then too often it's an area that I see we miss it. Tonight I want to focus on that one. I want to focus on it, and I'm going to tell you a little personal story, and then we're, we're going to get all over this and in a hurry. But let's pray because I need God's help so I don't do what I shouldn't and I do what I should. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. I ask you to rest in this house and on these that are set before me and with your anointing on me, release the things you've put in my heart that need to be released tonight. Lord, I've been dealing with this for a while now and there's so much information that I've gathered, but all of it's not necessary tonight. And I ask you to quicken my heart to say what is necessary, not to leave anything out that should be on the table and not to add what's not necessary. I just pray for the divine direction of the Holy Spirit. And I pray it would be a prophetic word and a release to those who hear me. Help them, Father. Teach them your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We had an incredible experience. We had... uh, We'd been the pastor for a few years. The church was up to 120 or 30. We started with 17 people, so we were pretty proud to be where we were. We were still in the old building. We hadn't built a new building yet. Maybe 150 would be a great Sunday. When God began to do something kind of deep, it actually started on a Sunday morning when I was given the altar call, and while I was, or I was finishing up the sermon, getting ready to give the altar call, but you know how you preach, you're already giving the altar call before you give the altar call. I was in that part of the sermon. There was a Hispanic couple that come in and sat on the back row. I didn't know who they were, but I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, today's their day. So I just knew that they had to get saved that day. You, you know what I'm talking about. I just, it was right, and they had to get saved. So as I'm moving toward it, the clock passed 12. As a matter of fact, by now it's about nine minutes after 12, and I'm still focusing on this couple coming into the kingdom. At this moment, I'm not preaching to hardly anybody in the church except those two lost people on the back as I felt the Lord nudging me that this was their day. I was preaching hard. And at nine minutes after 12, there's a man sitting second row back on my right who was kind of, in a, kind of a problem to me anyway, but he, that's where he was seated. And it, it bothered him that I was past 12, and I guess he, he had to take, eat lunch pretty quick. So he takes his watch and gets it where everybody can see it and holds it up above the heads and then looks at it like this. So it was kind of obvious that he really wasn't having trouble telling time he was making a statement to the church. I ignored him. A few minutes later, he did it again. I mean, a few moments later, not even seconds, hardly. Then he leans out in the aisle, and we have a clock on the back wall. He leans out in the aisle and contorts himself so that he can see the clock on the back and so that everybody can see him leaning out in the aisle. Now, folks, what I'm telling you is a true story. I'm not a super spiritual person, but this is what happened. While he's leaning there and I'm contending for the soul, I got really angry at him because I'm concerned about a soul, and he's just trying to show what an idiot looks like in church. And so I got pretty mad, and I said, this is the truth. With anger in my voice, while I'm anointed to win souls, I said, and I'm going to say it like I did it, so everybody just sit tight, I cursed that clock. 
That's what I said. When I did, this is true, the clock made a noise and stopped at 10 minutes after 12. Am I telling the truth, Rita? When it did, everybody heard the noise, looked at it, looked back at me, and perfect quiet fell over the auditorium. (laughs) There was nobody more shocked by it than me, because I wasn't really trying to curse the clock. I was just trying to make a statement that the clock doesn't matter. Evidently, God thought, this is a great time for me to do this, and he stopped the clock. And so I I didn't know he was going to do that. I gave the altar call. Those people got saved along with a few others. Good altar call that day. And uh, not the guy, he didn't get saved. He's still. <laughs> Something happened, though, and, and it really shifted our church. I, I, something in the spirit happened, and we began to have the most incredible services. And we weren't as concerned. We were all afraid to look at our watches at this point. We're, <laughs> no, so what time is it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, that was kind of how that was. It was really a dynamic shift so that our worship became a little more intense because we weren't quite as in a hurry. And then the Holy Spirit began to move again and again after our worship. Before I preached, the Spirit of the Lord would come in the house and just begin to lead the service. Tongues and interpretations, prophetic words. I had been teaching them about what's correct, what's righteous, what's good Pentecost. And, and it just began to happen. And it was phenomenal. And it began that day. Five years later, we looked back and did the averages and realized that for five years we averaged 17 people saved every week in our church service, not our outreaches, just in the church service. So we were used to some Sundays 30 and 35. Now, by now, we've had to build a new auditorium. This was in that process, and we had bigger and more room. It was incredible, though. It was just week after week of salvations. The Holy Spirit would come in and move. We saw many miracles. We saw, I told about a divine healing that we saw last night. I shared it with them. We saw these healing miracles this morning. I don't remember when I told it. But, but all of these miracles, we saw many salvations, dynamic, many people delivered. I shared last night, my son-in-law married my baby daughter, was a young man w- with a cocaine issue, and he also sold and went to prison for selling. He was a messed up kid. Comes into that church. God delivers him, knocks him on the ground. He gets up completely free of drugs. Within no time, he's going to Southwestern. He's got a degree. He's in the ministry. Matter of fact, he's so righteous, the lady married my daughter. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, God had to knock him down two more times before I was sure. Anyway, and then uh, we saw it wasn't unusual for us to see this divine move of God. It was during the time of, Brown, of the Brownsville revival, but ours wasn't like that at all. It was Sunday. It wasn't, we didn't have church every night. We'd just come. And then and the other thing is, at the end of that, I remember once we went about four weeks where the services would be so dynamic, so Pentecostal, but with so many people getting saved, just the work of God. I'd been about four weeks where I'd send them home about 1.30. You know, I'm not going to preach, just go home. This has been great. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, why aren't you preaching? I said, Lord, do you see how long you're taking to do your part? When it becomes my turn, there's not any time left, you know. And he said, no, no, if you don't feed them the word. Remember, if you go to 1 Samuel, the clear mark is that, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And then it, it moves its way all the way down to Ichabod. And so there's this process, you know, the lamp of God went out. You know the story. And finally, Ichabod. And as I looked at that progression, God said, you really need to preach. I put something on your heart. So then it got to where I didn't even give an altar call because the altar call was over. We'd have these great encounters. It'd start during worship. And by the end of worship, it'd just be the altars full of people and God just moving. It wasn't orchestrated or planned, but we knew it was going to happen every week. It just happened. It was phenomenal. My dad sat on the platform with me one time, and he was, he's been in the ministry forever. And he just said, I just don't get this. He said... 
Everybody I know would love to have this in their church. What are you doing? I said, I really don't know, Dad. We just get up here and start worshiping God, and God just starts working, and people come, and they, they come crowd in, and it just, and for five years, that's how it was. And that's all a setup for what I want to teach on tonight, on seasons. Because it was about five years at the end of that when suddenly it was a Sunday night, and we didn't do Sunday nights because we did small groups and we did other stuff because our Sunday mornings went so long anyway. And they were just so dynamic. So, so it was a, we had other parts of the church that mattered. It's dangerous to be a revival church because you still have to have the other stuff. Or when revival goes away, you have nothing. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach through that process. So anyway, so that night, uh, we, we, we would once a quarter, we'd do these services on Sunday night so that other people could come also, and it'd just be great. And it was one of those great services. And um, that night, I didn't preach. We had a special preacher. He did a great job. It's powerful. And we're praying for people. Well, we prayed for people because everybody in the building during revival, everybody wants to be prayed for. They don't want to miss a touch. And you, don't, you can't blame them because God's up to stuff. And so we prayed for it. Well, it's over. There are people literally just laid out all over the building, just quietly weeping and crying. It was just incredible, incredible experience. It's like being at a youth camp. It's just incredible. And everybody just still going after God. And I went up. Our, our church had five steps up to the deal. You know, I went up and sat on the steps, and I was tired. I was just, I was wore out. I'd preach that morning, prayed for a bunch of people in both services, and now we, that night, I was just tired. I wanted to go home and watch Gunsmoke. And so, uh, I told you I wasn't really all that spiritual, you know. I don't, I just, uh, after preaching all day, you got to unwind, and the black and whites are safe. So, you know, Gunsmoke's safe. And so, uh, I was just sitting there, and then um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm looking at this incredible, fantastic service. And I said, what? How could you not do this? I mean, I've got up and said in the middle of revival, I said, I don't know what you think about revival, but I've pastored a church church without it. And I will never pastor again a church without revival. God said, yeah, you're not bright. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I turned around and put my face into the the carpet on those steps. I said, God, am I hearing you? This can't be you. I've been hearing you all night tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, what I'm hearing is not possible. This is right. This is Book of Acts. This is going to continue until this town knows Jesus. This is powerful. You cannot tell me you're not going to do this. And he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. He said, I want you to learn the importance of seasons. And that every season has a purpose. It all matters. Then he said to me, there's two churches that were on the extreme, uh, one was kind of east of us and one was west of us. And, and they were both churches running in the thousands and we weren't, we hadn't hit a thousand yet, maybe once or twice, but we hadn't really hit a thousand. And so they're out there and out there. And he said to me, he said, listen, he just put it on my heart. If you'll let me do it my way, this church will be more powerful. It'll continue on and fulfill my ultimate purpose. As a matter of fact, when those churches have ceased to exist, this one will still be here. You've got to embrace seasons. It's a part of the process. Well, I didn't know what to do. I got up and, you know, and I, just, I just went home thinking that maybe I'd had a mental lapse or something. Maybe it wasn't God. And, but it kept going and kept going. And God took me back to this whole process of seasons and began to open it up before me and show me the power of it. Now, I don't have a lot of time because you guys have come to a retreat and you want to have some fun and you need to.
But I want to give you just the basic concepts of what he taught me because I believe it'll set you free. In Matthew, are you still with me? Just, I just need to hear from you occasionally to make sure you hadn't dozed off in the dark here. Jesus made the incredible statement in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he saying? He's telling us that the yoke that between him and you and me and him is not really about me bringing anything to the table that's all that necessary, but it's about him bringing to the table. And it's in his strength and his ability. That's why it's easy and light. He connects us to him. And he says you become weary when you don't do things in rhythm with me or in cadence with me, when you don't understand the power and the importance of a yoke. And because this yoke means that there will be seasons that we'll walk through together, and I'll know when to do what. And you just follow me instead of trying to lead me. Are you making sense so far? I picture it this way. Jesus is in this yoke, and I'm in the other yoke. And then a good farmer knows, and I know this only because I talked to good farmers when I was learning this, that you can literally adjust the yoke to put more weight on one animal than the other. And he said, I've got this thing adjusted on my side because I'm so strong that the hills aren't a problem, that tough, fallow ground is not a problem, that whatever it is we're pulling through, I can handle it. And I really have you here for the sake of relationship. And the rest of the story is I'm kind of invisible to the world, and they see you, and sometimes they think you're doing it, but you and I both know it's me. And you need to tell them that on the way, by the way. And so we get in this yoke. He said, now, what happens is we're doing pretty good. We're having this incredible fellowship. We're having coffee in the morning. We're spending time in prayer. We're talking to each other. I'm sharing my word with you. I'm teaching you. And we're really enjoying the relationship. And then we go into the ministry, and all of a sudden, you go ballistic on me. All of a sudden, it's not about relationship. Now I have to produce. And you begin to do all these things. Just come on back into relationship and stay in the yoke. I'm going to keep us moving. So we're walking along and we're doing pretty good. We're in the ministry. We're in relationship with Jesus. And then somebody's church goes faster than ours and passes us. And as soon as they pass me, I want to catch up. And so I immediately begin to pull against the yoke. And I'm trying to catch up with the church, the guy that wrote the book, whoever it may be, you know. The guy that his church has got the new system, and they're growing, and evidently it's the system. And so I say, I'm going to use this system, and I'm going to do what their book said, and I'm going to grow my church to catch up with their church. And Jesus is still walking at the same pace. And he said, now what's all that about? Man, Jesus, I got this idea, and I'm going to build you a church like you've never seen. And I'm just working away. Jesus is still doing the same thing. And then he says, finally, it doesn't work, of course. And then I say, I'm really tired. He said, well, I guess all the extra stuff you've been doing. Yeah, and then sometimes, sometimes I want to go this way and because there's something I see. And I said, Jesus, let's go around it. He said, now let's go through it. It's not a problem for me. It was pretty scary to me. <laughs> I tell you, you go hit it. I'm going to kind of pull around. And then I start trying to go somewhere different than where Jesus is going. Or sometimes, you get the picture, sometimes he's taking me somewhere and I start digging my heels in and I don't want to go. I try to speed up, turn, move. All this stuff I'm doing is what creates the weariness in me. It's the lack of understanding that Jesus knows what he's doing. I'm in his yoke. He's going to pull the heavy weight. Now, is all that, you got that so far? And so what happens in seasons is this. 
we don't understand the season we're in and that it's a part of being in yoke with him. And he said to me that day, I'm going to take you into a different season. This is over. We're going to do something else now. And as we move into the next thing, it's going to be different. But if you keep trying to do the activities of this season, but I'm not doing it, you're going to get very weary and still unproductive. So he began to teach me that part of the weariness of ministers, it's not just the fact that they don't appreciate the Sabbath, which again is about relationship, but they don't understand the process that God uses when it comes to seasons. Now, what I want to help you do in the next 10 minutes is discover these seasons. The first season I call spring. I didn't come up with that. Somebody else did. Spring is that part of the year that we would also in the church call revival. Spring is not really explainable, but for some reason, suddenly, everything starts growing again. For some reason, on the calendar, the atmosphere shifts. God takes care of that. He takes the earth and puts it in a different relationship with the sun. And when he does that, the atmosphere shifts. And when the atmosphere shifts, things that weren't growing start growing. Things that have been dormant come back to life. All of a sudden, everything's growing. I mean, if you can't grow something in spring, you're not a good farmer. Stuff grows in the springtime. Matter of fact, I can grow weeds in spring. Matter of fact, I can't not grow weeds in spring. Spring, stuff just grows. The trees turn green. They begin to bud. They begin to put out life. The grass begins to come back. All the old hedges and bushes that have been wilted over that that really aren't year-round stuff, they begin to liven up again. All this begins to happen. And you can say, you can stand out there in the middle of winter and speak to them and fertilize them and say anything you want, but it's not going to help. But when spring comes, all by itself, it just starts to live again. That's revival. That's revival. I like revival. I can't explain to you how we got in it. I can tell you we prayed because we did. I can tell you we tried to be righteous because we were. We did all we knew how, but I really don't get it. All I know is it was time for revival. We were ready when it came, but it was time for revival. And when the season came, revival came, and stuff just grew. And during revival, stuff grows. And if your church is in revival, praise God for the revival. If you're in springtime, it's wonderful. I love the revival spirit of the church. I loved it. I had a great time with it. It was the reign of the spirit. Every Sunday, I would get up, and the atmosphere was conducive to worship. We'd say, now let's worship God. And they would jump up and start worshiping God. Our musicians weren't leading them. They were chasing them, trying to keep up. It was incredible to watch the joy in the house and the love. And out of that life and miracles and prayer, you'd have prayer meetings. We had every Sunday night for, for 17 years, we had prayer meeting on Saturday night. And the prayer meetings, would, they got larger and bigger, and more people would came, come and seek God in preparation for Sunday. They would just come. They just wanted to be there. It was exciting. It was powerful. It was revival. It was life. There were miracles. It was wonderful. Preaching is fun during revival. And then God said, that's good, but you need summertime. I didn't even realize I'd shifted and went into a different season, the summer season. Are y'all still with me? Summer season is about harvest. A revival that doesn't produce harvest is a wasted revival. A revival that wakes the church up and gets everybody excited and happy again is good. That's the beginning of revival. That's what revival does is it restores to life. Revival doesn't necessarily mean fruit. Revival means that we like each other again. Revival means we're right with God again. Revival means we got life in the house again. Revival means we're worshiping again. Revival means we're just back. It's just good and we like it. But revival must turn into harvest. There must be a point in the process where it gets a little more heat and a little further along and the fruit begins to ripen. And now it's about the harvest. 
And when you go into harvest time in a church, it's amazing. It's one of the best times that you'll ever go into. I liked it better in revival. Not that I didn't enjoy revival, but as we got into harvest, and really that's where we were when God spoke this to me, everything we did won souls. We couldn't help but win souls. The men's ministry won souls. The women's ministry had a meeting, souls got saved. When the youth department met, souls got saved. Matter of fact, they were so winning machine. The children were being won at every age and every level. Every Sunday service, I'd give an altar call, and they'd come forward. A bunch of people would come forward. We'd see the salvations. It was incredible. They were doing outreach, everything. We could win souls. It was so easy to win souls. It was was summertime. It was harvest. The fruit was ripe. It was ready. We brought it in, and it would have been been terrible. It would have been terrible if we had missed the moment moment of harvest and then and then from that day that God spoke to me we begin to move into what I call fall I didn't come up with that word either fall is the time when all the pretty goes away the leaves come off and everything that has grown and matured during the time of, of, of summer and during the time of spring and summer, all those new shoots and limbs that stuck out there, now they got fruit on them, now the fruit's been harvested, and then, then the leaves fall off, and now they're just standing there bare and naked, cold, and the wind's blowing, and they're not pretty, they're not shady, they're not, there's not fruit, there's just them, and there they are. And the Lord was saying to us, I'm going to take you into a season now where all the pretty needs to go away. And when the pretty goes away, when it's all gone, it's just not there, then the truth is going to be shown. We're going to begin to see what the church is really made of. Because during revival, there's a lot of life and a lot of things that grow up that aren't necessarily God. They're like weeds. They're like, well, I I learned this term when I was talking to these farmers. They said there are those branches that grow up early on on the tree, not up here where they belong. They grow up out of the side or low or somewhere in the wrong place, and they will literally suck the sap out of the tree, and they will grow up and try to produce. But what they're really doing is hindering the full potential of the tree. They are called suckers. And during the fall, you have to deal with the suckers in the church. See, during, the, during revival, I, I just preach life. I just preach love each other. I just preach celebrate. I preach worship. I preach go after it. I preach passion. During the, during the harvest time, I preached the altar call. Everything was an altar call, and it just worked. We just, everything was about to cross. Now, now we move into the fall. It's different because a whole lot of what got saved and a lot of what grew up and a lot of ministries that the church produced and sprouted up here and there, a lot of it didn't produce. Matter of fact, we had ministries that came up during revival because everybody had to have a ministry during revival, and they all had their own little thing, and all this stuff came up. Well, some of it was sucking up money, time, effort, people, even prayer, and it was not producing any fruit for the kingdom. And the church ended up having all this other stuff going on that was really not productive, really not necessary. And I, di- I couldn't deal with it during revival, and I couldn't deal with it during harvest at one time. The wheat and the tares sometimes grow up together. There's a moment in time when it's right, though, and in the fall it's right. When the leaves begin to come off, then I have to go deal with those people. This ministry of yours that you give birth to that you're so sure, it's using the stuff of this church, and it's not producing ultimately the goal. So we're either directly or indirectly. It's fruit, and so we're going to have to cut this off. Well, when you cut off somebody's ministry that's their identity it's even though they're not productive even though it's not from God even though it's it's they've used the life that was there and boy when you cut it off it's their identity and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
But if you don't deal with it, then those suckers will keep sucking the life out of the tree down here. And so that what was once this great revival will end up being a bunch of leftover stumps. But you have to deal with it when you're in season to deal with it. There's a time to confront those things. And during the fall, you cut those back and cut them off. And you purge that tree and clean it. So we had to deal with those things. It's also during the fall that you deal with all the issues that came in during harvest. It's when you clean the fruit a little bit. See, you can't get too caught up in, in, a, in your favorite season and your favorite style of preaching because the preaching style in revival and the preaching style during harvest and the preaching style during the fall is a little different. When you're in the fall, that's where you don't... You, legalistic is not the right word, but righteousness is the right word. It's when you preach about what it means to be a righteous Christian and you begin to clean up a whole lot of what came in during the, during the harvest. I mean, you got all kind of stuff. Every, year, every, every month or every two months, I taught through this thing that I did for new believers. I did it myself because I wanted a little bit of connection with them. And so I taught through this process. Well, when we dealt with the ordinances of the church, I added marriage because it's kind of like an ordinance of the church. And so I put it all there. And I explained to him about baptism, and it was a ceremony where you and God are joined together. And, and I kind of let that lead in. Then I talked about the blood covenant, and then I took it over to marriage. And then I said, and if people are living together that have not been married, they're in sin. Well, everybody in the place knew. All my staff said, Pastor, when you do that message, we got to know. Because the next Sunday, baptisms are going to multiply by 10 or 12 times what we would normally do and marriages they're all going to be calling the church we got to get married we just found out we're sinning and so we would do that and we'd clean up we're coming behind all that had happened because you know the process of life and so there's this cleansing time that was coming well during that time of of fall it was incredible all kinds of things that had to be dealt with all kind of trash came to the surface all kind of stuff that had been going on begins to be revealed i thought we had this great church this great revival church everybody's perfect everybody loves everybody but when we get to the fall all kinds of attitudes and issues begin to surface and this one's got this in his life and that one's got that and during the fall all of that stuff stuff begin to come to the surface. Now, does this mean we're less holy now than we were during revival? No. The only difference is we can see it now, and we couldn't see it during revival. Are you with me? And we moved into this new process of change during this second, this third season. And finally, God took us into the season of winter. Winter is completely different. We're living, we're in one right now here where we are. During the wintertime, in a physical sense, during the wintertime, what happens is the trees can literally go dormant above ground. The sap retreats back into beneath the ground, and the trees will go dormant. So it looks like they're dead. Have you ever pastored a church that looked like it was dead? Don't say amen. Just stay with me. But it's really not dead because during winter, the work is now underground instead of above ground. Let me tell you how I learned that. Reed and I were pastoring in East Texas, this little church we talked about the other day in a town called Hallsville. We get to Hallsville, and it didn't have much of a house, but my brother and I fixed it up. They had one bathroom. Reed and I and our oldest daughter, we moved in, and we were pastoring the little church. Well, one day, uh, I was in that one little bathroom, and, and I flushed the commode, and uh, it started to go down the hole, and then it changed its mind. And it all started coming back. And so, you know, first of all, I tried to, 
add, stop having new water go in there, pull the lid. I'm doing all I can. I'm trying to plunge, and it just won't quit. So I run outside, and I go find the clean out, and I take it off, and then it was like something right out of a national park, and it just shot straight up, and I'm running for my life, hoping that I get out from under it before it comes down, and it's just everywhere. I don't think it was just the present pastor. I think four or five of the last pastors had stuff invested in that little process right there, and it was everywhere. So I go to the store, and I rent one of those Roto-Rooters, and I worked it for a while. I couldn't get it to break. So I finally called a guy who had this Roto-Rooter truck. They had a motor on his truck, and he had all these neat bits lined up. He was like a, he was like a professional at this. And he pulls in there, and he's Texas. Where it was. He pulls in, and he, he looks it over, and he grabs his snake, and he starts shoving it down with these different bits. And next thing you know, he's pulling out pieces of root this long and this long, cutting them up and pulling them out. He just keeps pulling roots out. I mean, I had a pile of roots like this high, just piled up. I'm like, really? All of those roots? Who would have thought we could have had all of those roots in that pipe right here in the middle of winter? And he doesn't hardly even look up. He's working. He's spitting tobacco. You know, he's, he's one of those guys. He said, you must be a city boy, ain't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, son, roots don't grow in the spring. They grow in the winter. I said, excuse me, I got to go write that down. Later on, that would come back to me when we were in the middle of our church, and it seemed like everything on the surface was dead. But it's during those times that the roots can go so deep. During the times of winter, I, I preach things like doctrine. I mean, if you preach doctrine all the time, people will leave. I just want you to know that. If your only message is, is, is doctrine and deep and, and deep explanations, and, and if you're getting into all of that, that heavy depth, then people, but, but during the winter, it's amazing. They really want to know how it all connects and how it all works and how this scripture affects it. Suddenly, the atmosphere is right for it, and they're, not, they're going home. They're not trying to win souls. That, oh, they try, but it's not the same impact. The altar calls aren't as successful when it comes to winning souls, but you can get up there and teach them the deep things of God, and they'll write down everything you say. Something's going on out here. This church isn't dead. It's just dormant on top so that it can grow roots underneath in preparation for spring. Because in the process, eventually, those roots get down, and they begin to find places in God that they didn't know existed. They begin to find truths in the Word that they did not know about. They begin to establish foundation and a place of life that has nothing to do with what's up here. It has to do with an incredible, individual, private relationship with the Almighty God. And you drive those down. This is a part. So God was saying to me, you've had this incredible, but what you don't know is your roots aren't all that deep. And the truth is, I've got to get you cleaned up. Up. You've got stuff in the church you don't know about, and we've got to go through a season where we clean it up. Now, when you're in one of those seasons, you're preaching. You're dealing with the law a little bit. You're dealing with thou shalt not, and you're dealing with righteousness, and, you've got, and you're exposing sin and confronting sin. And I don't really like exposing and confronting sin. It's not what I do for fun. Now, I have, I have heard some preachers that their favorite message is against something. As a matter of fact, I've had some guys that I can't tell if they're preaching in anger or anointing. They look so similar. 
And they're really good at being rough and mean and telling everybody all that's wrong and don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. And that's all they do. And the problem with that is they can do that and it kind of fits during the fall when they're correcting and cleansing and working. And then God moves them into the winter and they keep doing the don'ts and the don't, don't, don't. And when God's trying to get them to take them deep, deep, deep. And because your ministry is, my favorite's fall. My favorite is preaching against. I believe in righteousness. I'm all about righteousness. Well, good. So is the fall. And that's all it's about. And that's when you get righteous but if that's your only message then in the when the when the revival comes and all you can do is preach that your ministry is not going to fit the life that God is pouring into the church you've got to know and understand the rhythm of God get in the yoke do what he's doing I don't care what's happening at the church next door they may be in a different season than you are that's okay let them be in that season bless them in that season but you need to know what season God's got you in and participate in and enjoy the ride And when it's harvest time, when it's harvest time, you'll enjoy the harvest. Enjoy it. Learn to give altar calls. I had three altar calls that I had prepared. And unless God led me different, wherever I was nudged, I would jump up on that after the worship service and give the altar call that seemed right. And then if he led me somewhere, I'd go there. But I was always ready to give an altar call. And they were all, and here they come. And they all got saved in the front. Then we'd lay hands on them. And we'd say, God, deliver them from their past. Deliver them from their wrong. And we'd, we believed in breaking those curses right then and there. And God would hit them powerfully. And they, it was incredible. It was wonderful. It was a great harvest. We're bringing them in. But when God began to expose everything that wasn't right, you think, this can't be us. We just come through this holy revival. No, the revival led to harvest. The harvest brings in whatever's out there. Fall cleanses it. And your your preaching has to line up with the season that God has you in. And if you love the deep, good. You're going to enjoy winter. But revival's not deep. Revival is just life. There's so much in the scripture about life. And when you're in that, you're preaching life and it's just flowing and it's fun. Learn to flow with the process of God. Is this making sense? And in God's full process, he establishes this thing about seasons because God will, I've already said this to the leaders, but God will usually start the whole, pro- here, please hear this. I'm trying to wrap up right now. God usually gives you a little seed he doesn't give you everything you want except he does but it's all in the form of that seed and if you understand the power of seed and the rhythm of seasons then you know when to plant the seed and you plant it in season and then it begins to produce and then you take the fruit of that and you get the seeds out of that fruit and when it's the right season you plant again and then if you'll just stick with it in 10 or 12 years that seed will be a great church because you have participated in the seasons, cleansing, purging out the seed, replanting in this process, and it grows. But in order for the process to work, you have to embrace the seasons of God. Now, with all of that said, um, there are no shortcuts. And you don't want a church that doesn't go through seasons. If you pull your church out of the seasonal process, you will pay for it sooner or later. Because every season has purpose and value in the wisdom of God. Now, I said we were five years in revival and harvest combined. I, I don't know. God's seasons aren't necessarily in line with the natural seasons. And they can last however long God wants them to last according to what he's doing. But you need to simply find the season you're in and participate with God's process. Now, here's how I wrap it up. 
my personal time with God, my devotional life, and my personal walk also has seasons to it. And so does yours. There are times in my devotional life where I sit down to read the Word and it's just full of life and hope and it's encouraging and everything I read just makes me feel better, motivates me, and gives me faith. And then there are times in my life where it's all about receiving the promises of God. It's not as much about enjoying just the life of God, but it's about going out and receiving the harvest, the things God has for me. And it seems to be productive and my life seems to be about productivity. And then there are times where I go in there and spend time with God and instead of Him telling me and give me life and hope and strength, He begins to deal with the issues of my life that haven't yet been dealt with. And he goes in and he takes the blinders off and he said, I'm going to show you this about you. I'm not pleased with this. I want to work on this. And God begins to clean you up in your process. And then there are times where God begins to just reveal his word to you and the deep things, getting a base under you and a foundation under you that'll be strong so when the winds come, you won't move. So in the difficult times, you'll be firm. That same process seems to go with me in my life and it's a part of the process. So when God's dealing with me about issues, it's not like, oh no, oh no, I just No, those issues have always been there. It's just now time to deal with them. And when God wants to go deep, and then when he wants to turn it back into revival, and your prayer time is almost more about worship than anything else, and it's just about his presence, then enjoy it when it's about his presence. But when it's about about productivity, then go out and be productive because there's an anointing that's on you to go out and finish what you started and complete things and bring things to completion. Go out and do it and walk in that anointing. When it's right, when it's right for God to deal with your heart, don't be discouraged and not come back to the altar of the Lord because you know He's going to deal with your stuff. Go there. Get it done. Meet with Him. Let Him clean it up. And when it's deep, enjoy deep. Whatever it is. Now, here's what I've noticed in my life. Usually, what's going on in my life is one season ahead of what He's called me to lead. Is that making sense to you? If he leads me into the deep water and the deep things, it's because the church is about to go to a deep place and he's getting me ready to feed them during the deep. If he leads me into revival and worship, it won't won't be long until the church begins to be released into revival and released into a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. It's that same process. I seem to be pretty well with me. It's that little, just a little bit of the seasons of God. That was close number one. This is close number two. <clears throat> I, have, uh, I have tried more than one time early a little bit to get revival back. I so liked the previous season. It became my favorite. And I found people that whatever season, they all, everybody has a favorite season. And if we're not careful, we'll try too hard to get back to season rather than embrace the season God has put us in. I believe in praying for revival. Don't misunderstand. I believe in praying for harvest. I believe it's scripturally required. Don't misunderstand. But God doesn't just skip a season to get us into the answer of that prayer. When I'm praying for harvest, what I'm praying for is, God, from where I am now, do the things necessary to get us back into a time of great harvest because this nation needs to be harvested. But there's a process that we must go through to get there. I know God doesn't skip seasons, so I've learned to embrace his process and be happy and not pull against the yoke, but walk in rhythm with the Lord season by season. If you'll do that, there'll still be a church where you are in the next generation, and it'll be healthier then than it is now. And you'll be an enjoy, a person who enjoys your leadership and your ministry rather than one who is weary in well-doing. This is a key. This is one of the keys the Lord gave me. And <clears throat> I wanted to give it to you tonight. And I think that's everything I need to say.
God will... Uh, I left a lot out tonight just because of your time and still I'm over. But I want to pray that God will seal this up in you and begin to show you what season you're in. Because the Holy Spirit's the great teacher, amen? And he can lead you from here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are frustrated and who have become weary in well-doing. You said in due season you'll reap if you do not faint. The problem is they have tried to skip seasons, and they're thinking that this season is the season in which they're supposed to reap, but it's not the season for reaping. It's the season for something else. And they're growing weary because they're looking forward to a harvest, but the harvest can't come because it's not time for the harvest. But if they'll stay faithful, they didn't do season, they'll be able to reap. But they must stay faithful. They must stay in there. They must get through this season and lead through it and live through it the way that they should. So I pray for them, God. I pray your hand and your strength would enable them, that your power would come on them. I pray that you would open their blinded eyes and let them see the things that you're doing. Let them begin to realize as they look around, wait a minute, I'm fighting against God instead of with God because because he is doing something. He's just not doing what I think he should be doing. What he's doing is maybe not yet harvest, or maybe it is harvest time. And maybe while you're in, they're in the midst of harvest, Lord, they're trying to get the harvest in, and yet it's, it's, they're also still trying to clean it up. And they're trying to deal with stuff that should be removed to the fall. And they can't get to all the harvest because they're too busy with every little piece of fruit that comes in. Lord, I pray wisdom be released, understanding be released, that we may know the ways of God, and that we may walk in rhythm with you. Thank you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. I pray it in the name of Jesus. By your power and by your spirit, you will be In Jesus' name. Again, I don't want to get into your fun time, but tonight, I just feel the Holy Spirit at work here. Tonight, some of you are weary. You are weary, and you have been doing well. But the Lord knows you're weary. He knows you've been trying hard. He knows you've been working hard. He wants to give you a refreshing touch tonight. He wants to give you an encouraging touch. He wants to say to you clearly. He wants to speak to you and say to you, Hey, I have got this thing. If you'll look over, I'm in the yoke with you. You're not by yourself. If you'll understand clearly, I'm pulling in the right place at the right time. Quit trying to make something happen that's not what I'm making happen. Learn to lean on me and trust me and let me lead and you follow. You're going to be the one they see. Remember to give me credit. But let me do the heavy pulling. Let me determine the season. Let me determine the time and do with me what I'm doing. And he's just releasing you. For you've been under this heavy load trying to be something that people expect you to be. Your church may be even saying, we need this, we need this. But it's not what God's saying. You're, it's other people around you may be trying to get you to, or just your history, just what you've taught, been taught is important. You're trying to be this thing and you're wearing yourself out because that's not what God's doing. I've come tonight to release you from that and let you be free from that. Set that down and say, God, what are you doing? That's what I want to do. What season are we really in? That's the season. Lord, if you're in cleansing, then let's go clean it up. Lord, if it's about root, then anoint me to go deep. Lord, whatever you're doing, if it's harvest time, Lord, I don't have to clean it all up. All these rules of the church, when it's time to win the lost, I just want to win the lost. And Lord, there'll be a season and a time for that. For in every time, and in every season it's appointed unto you and in your time, in your season you'll make this thing beautiful it's not all at once, I release that Lord I release the heaviness that's been put on me and I restore the joy of my walk with you in Jesus name let this be so in Jesus name let this be so in Jesus name release them now release them oh God from these things, these heavy loads that have been put on them 
you have not brought them the heaviness. Others have. They've put it on themselves. Tonight, we will break that off. Tonight, we will shed that in the name of Jesus. If you felt that heaviness and you want to be free, just stand up right where you are and throw both hands up to Jesus. You, you know you need this. Don't be afraid. Every one of us have had it. I, I know. I know that you're worried about your friends a little bit. Listen, they've had it. If they're not going through it also, just stand up. Say, Jesus, I'm going to give it all back to you. I want to walk in rhythm with you. I want you to take this thing. I want to do what you're doing. I don't want to do what somebody says I should be doing. I want to do what you know I'm doing. I want to do what you're doing, God. In the name of Jesus, as they stand, I pray the Holy Spirit of the living God just begin to move in their hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, just begin to find, reach into their lives and undergird them now and begin to push off all those old expectations and all those things that have been on them, Lord. Begin to release them. Now, in the name of Jesus, I pray their eyes be open. Let them begin to see what their season they're in. Let them begin to have revelation of what you are doing. Not what others think should, they should be doing, but what you're doing. So they can participate with you and walk with you and be yoked with you and in your timing and in your purpose. I pray for them, God. I pray your hand and your blessing upon them. Your strength. Let them see it. Let them find that release right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. And I pray in the name of Jesus that these days would be like a Sabbath to them. A rest to them. That literally new revelation could come to them. New insight could come to them. They could see what they've been missing. They could know what they haven't known. Believe what they need to believe. Understand what they need to understand. By your power, oh God, release these men and women. Release them, oh God, to your call and your purpose and your passion to walk in rhythm with you and to know the joy of their salvation and the joy of the call of God and the pleasure of serving with you. Father, in Jesus' name, them understand seasons and be found faithful in this process for on the fifth day you created seasons help us understand in Jesus name in Jesus name